Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 83 of Death Readers, the podcast where we're reading through books for the first time, or at least one of us is. Uh, this episode is the book wrap party for Michael Crichton's The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park. Which which is a surprise. We uh, we promised you only so many chapters last time, but we're, we just we went ahead and blew through them all. Yeah, we, we determined that uh, we were going to do like a like a 60 or 70 page or, or 50 or 60 page episode and then a 30 page episode after the, for the book rock party after that. And it became clear to us that uh, that's too short. Why? Why bother? Why waste your time with the download? Why waste a week where we could be reading something else? Let's, Let's spend more time finish. with this goddamn book. Yeah. Why spend more time with dinosaurs? Um, Let's get it over with. So they're, they're done with. They've had their time. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to drive this into the ground. Where um, it will uh, sit under the pressure of millennia and become oil that we could burn and kill ourselves with. We, could, we you could we argue that our atmosphere. You could argue that God has selected this book for extinction. This 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 isn't a book that that's been destroyed by deforestation or the building of a dam. No, this book had its chance. Thank you for finishing my line. I couldn't remember. It's okay. I, I'm right there for you. <laughs> Uh, oh, if this is your first time listening to Death Readers, the way we do this show is we'll read through these chapters page by page and we'll take notes and we'll compare them and talk to each other about them and see what thoughts and conversations arise from our observations of the book. So we're going to be starting, uh, this chapter is going to be going through the high hide mm-hmm. to the end of the book. The end of the book. So uh, apologies if you were counting chapters somehow, but... Uh, Michael Crichton didn't do us the decent thing and give us chapter numbers. He just gave us chapter names. So sorry. Um, and fucking George R. R. Martin over here. And we're not reading the same edition of the book. So we don't have page numbers to compare for you so that you can keep reading along as if there was one unified or singular edition of the book to read from. So once again, the world is too big. Uh, Too many things. Um, I don't believe there's any housekeeping. Am I incorrect no no you're not incorrect well then i don't see any reason to further delay let us get into these books this last chapters of michael Crichton's the lost world which brings us to the high hide all right my only i have two notes okay my first it, it's just one of those these casualties of doing the podcast the way we do it is my note here is just sort of like it's a note as I was reading, but eventually it just it just it answered itself, or whatever. Uh, my note is that cool. Malcolm gets morphine. The best parts of the first book, you could argue, were Malcolm on morphine. <laughs> so maybe we'll get some more cool, wild Malcolm philosophizing later. Well, hmm. That was my thought sure. at the start of these chapters. Sure, which. Uh, definitely happens. <laughs> so, so answered that question. My last note on this chapter is sort of a addendum to a note I had in the last episode, which is goddamn candy bars. <laughs> that gets you every time. Yeah. I mean, like I, if it, it's, it was so weird that it must've been foreshadowing, you know, like the amount of times he referenced candy bars and the dinosaurs eating them. It just kind of maybe even felt like uh, it was something that was added 
as like a, I need a device that gets from A to B. This is it. I think you really like that image that 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 he wanted to see it on screen of a raptor just chomping on a Snickers. And Spielberg is like, no, what if we do something else? Maybe. I don't know. I just know that the candy has been weird from the beginning. And I guess I guess this counts as a payoff. Do you have any notes for this? More like chapter? a payday. It's it's a yeah. Uh-huh. It's a thousand grand. Isn't it a hundred grand? Shit. I don't know my candy bars that well. That's why they call us the three musketeers. There's two of us. Bar none? Hershey's with almonds! No, I didn't have a number. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Our lives are in your hands and you've got Butterfingers? I mean, where were you seconds ago? Well, Well, seconds ago, I was trying to find a way to incorporate the brilliant bit from the office where Michael Scott uses candy bars to, uh, use as a metaphor for business practices. And it, 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 he gets most of the ones you've already mentioned. Um, and eventually it leads to a scene where he hugs Pam and she says, Michael, is there something in your pocket? And he whispers to her chunky. And she goes, what? And he pulls out a candy bar, a chunky bar. And he goes, chunky. And he, <laughs> and she's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what a chunky bar is. This show has no reference for me. No, no, no. To- I can't get a toehold into this office that you like. Well, you should. You should start. You should watch it. Nah. You should. You should have a week where you have. You don't have anything to do, and no. you're in quarantine. It's all like on, and you have full access. It's on Peacock, and I don't watch Peacock. Isn't it still on Netflix until the end of the year? I don't know. The end of the year is almost here. It's not going to happen. Well, if you only you had a bunch of time off where you could just sit in quarantine and not interact with people and watch the some of the office if only but the, i don't um i think i think my, my only my only half note here was i guess raptors can look up cuz earlier i was like hey raptors can't look up that's like that joke from that movie and big trouble no which movie is it it's, i forget that uh, i always Shaun, think it's Shaun big of trouble the dead. Shaun of the dead that's right it's Shaun of the dead um, yeah, Big get, Al. Get, big Al says dogs can't look up. How do you get Big Trouble? Oh, because that why Big Trouble, Big Al? Maybe. Because they're two disparate movies. I think it's the, the... I always think that the Johnny Knoxville character in Big Trouble is too much like uh, Nick Frost. In his his complete stupidity. Okay. Okay. Like, as, a, as an archetype, he's so, very dumb. So, like, one's... British and one's Floridian, but there is a level of stupidity that transcends oceans. So that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. So no, I had no notes. Okay. That brings us to chapter... Malcolm. Okay. (laughs) Uh, My note here is, holy fuck, he was right about the internet. Holy fuck, he was right about social media. It's a mental cancer. Uh, but hey, at least we get some more Morphine Malcolm. So... We definitely get some more Morphine Malcolm. Uh, I wasn't as engaged this time. I don't know if I'm just... The book has grown weary or... I mean, yeah, all... Wrapping this... at your chamber door? Seriously, I am <laughs> madam, your forgiveness, I implore. <laughs> 
<laughs> your look, the look on your face as you, as your brain cascaded into the uh, Rube Goldberg machine of the reflexive recall of that poem was gorgeous, and only I witnessed it. <laughs> I didn't even witness it. You want to describe it for me and the listeners? Uh, it was it was like you closed your eyes as if you were having a, a conniption or a seizure. You sh- your 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 head t- listed towards your shoulder in a smooth, steady but rapid fashion, and you sort of twitched out of it, and then recited as your eyes fluttered back open into the waking light of the fluorescence in your room, and. And suddenly, thereupon, gazing uh, back at you, stood I, mouth agape, in wonder at your mental recall capacities. You've peeked behind the curtain, sir. I can't let you live. <laughs> um, well, too rare to live. <laughs> um, my big takeaway from this chapter, though, was at this point, is there any suspense for Malcolm's life? If he dies, he'll just come back to life again. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I hadn't I'm, thought I'm, of that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not in, may, and maybe that's why I felt disengaged. I wasn't invested in morphine-addled Malcolm pontificating. I'm like, all of your points are sound and prescient, and it's what happened, and it came to pass, and sure, but I'm not in fear for your life because Crichton will just press the reset button again. Well, I mean, except that he won't because he's dead. So well. Is that how you kill Malcolm? Me and Malcolm, then you got kill the author. Is that the cutting the head of the Kurgan? I th- I think it is in this situation. Kurgan, that's an interesting. I mean, I know why you say it, but like usually people would say Hydra. I think. No, because that wouldn't in the problem. Whereas well, you, I'm talking well about I guess you're this, right. This, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is how you yeah, end okay, the immortality of Malcolm. Is you're right. Okay, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I had to catch up. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 the mental version of uh, Connor McLeod under the water laughing because I'm just learning. I'm just learning what I'm what I'm capable of. Um, <laughs> Never overextend your thrust. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, that was my best attempt at him laughing underwater. It's a hard effect. It's it's, a, it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, I I really liked his pontificating. I liked his uh his his prophecies. Sure. Because again, like I'm I'm in, I'm so impressed with Crichton's futurism. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in this book that you were not so connected to, which I think mostly, and I I don't mean to d- diminish your criticisms, but I do think a lot of it is your your pre chip on the shoulder, because of Malcolm being in it. Um, because I I think that these things are really impressive. Like some sometimes they are. I, uh, I, the fact that he had the the, the futurism is—I'll give it to you—it's impressive, but the, it's not a good book. I, I don't know if I'd say it's a good book either, but we're not there yet. No, we're not there. Um, yet. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I, that's not really what I'm arguing. Okay, I'm—I'm I, I'm arguing that I think that what I hear you saying is Malcolm has jumped the shark into superhero territory where the death of the character doesn't matter because it's serialized. So he'll have to come back eventually. Yes. People, people bought a billion issues of the issue of the copy of Superman's death Uh because it was a marketing stunt. Sure. It it was a brilliant way to drum up issues and it barely helped save DC comics. I don't arguably it didn't. Uh, Marvel had the same issues at the time where Sony could have bought all of Marvel's properties, but they were such a weak company that they Sony only bought Spider-Man and Oh God, should they have bought it all? Um, 
it's it's just like but but that's that's the thing about serialized characters where like they are the cash cow mm-hmm. they are the thing people are coming back to see so if you actually kill them what are people going to come back to see so i get i totally agree that that your argument about how that is what is uh working against your ability to appreciate malcolm as a character uh who has the capacity to die uh, makes sense. I feel like it. I would uh, urge you to separate those two uh, points where Malcolm on morphine is its own splendor. Sure. And whether or not Malcolm can die is a, is tied into that. But as a subject, I would address it separately. I mean, I could try to, but I'm a being of pure emotion and I don't know if I can make that leap. I don't know if that's true. Fuck you. Well, see, I know you thought about saying that ahead of time. No, you didn't. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> you couldn't see it on my face at all. <laughs> I'm a closed book. <laughs> I am a Kindle I mean, in sleep mode. I, I I feel bad, but that was premeditated. Fuck you. <laughs> see, that one was too. No, it was, that was fine. Well, well, you laid the groundwork for the reaction by premeditating a previous action. That's possibly true. <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, that brings us to the next chapter. The high hide. Once again, we're in the high hide. Um, I, I, I was, I was very unhappy with a lot of the action in this chapter. It felt a little sloppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, things like she climbed to the roof. I'm guessing of the high hide, but a moment later, she Kelly. Uh, is said to be on the roof of the shed. I don't like that she dropped down from the high hide down to another structure, and I read back and read it through, and I'm like, no, I guess he's just referring to the structure at the top of the high hide as a shed, and it just... It was very confusing. I empathize with what you're saying. Uh, it was It was confusing for me. There's a moment in this... I think it must be this chapter where... Uh, Arby falls back to the ground. Yep. Yeah, and then somehow he's in a cage. Well, and I think that I didn't know they had. I believe I believe they introduced the, and that was another one for me that incorporated with the other two. Uh, I believe they introduced the cage earlier when they were setting up the high hide, like a shark cage kind of thing. But they didn't reference it again, and they didn't have a moment of Arby getting into it, which would have helped that transition. And I yeah. think Michael Crichton relies on. I said it once, and that's yes. that's not really how you write. When you're when you're writing a book, you have to like reiterate things and make your point again. And well, it's especially noticeable when he he takes the time to make so many candy bars. Yeah, and then and then one time mentionings of certain things, mm-hmm. like like the cage or the structure of the high hide. I mean, this is the second high hide chapter we've been in in this episode in this episode and it really should have been it it, it should have been better described like way further on I, yeah even in the last high high they could have worked something in about the cage and how they never got any use out of it or something i don't know i'm I, i'm not gonna do his job for him but should he should have done his job better yeah agreed um, I think my note here 
is that for me, I think the greatest takeaway from reading these books is the appreciation, the new appreciation uh, for complex systems that work uh, and an endeavor to keep the systems in my life simple. Mm hmm. Uh, I think that that's that's one of the bigger themes in the in this book, especially as a I mean it's it's in the first book, but I think there's different themes that are bigger in that book. But I, I think this one, at least that's my memory. I don't maybe it's the same, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's a lot of that in this where where Malcolm's again reiterating. No, it's the same for both. They're, like because he talks about weather patterns in the first one a lot, and the whole thing about the storm is there, and like it's it's a storm on the island that stops people from being able to like come and go. And that's just nature, but people don't think about how complex nature is. So anyway, yeah, it's the same in both books. Um, so yeah, like, I think in this one, it's, it's that idea that so many things we do are complex. Like, I was thinking about the pandemic, you know, when I was reading. I was thinking about how something as simple as, hey, don't go interact with other people. Right. Because you are putting yourself at risk of transmission of this virus. Uh, other people who are also at like at risk of transmitting, they're out there. They're transmitting. They're spreading. And it's been almost impossible. We've had issues in our city this week where restaurants are shutting down for good. And they're blaming ordinances that are supposed to keep people out of public places. And the arguments I've heard are things like, you... It's it's unfairly targeting us and our industry. It's it's attacking us as if those people are being targeted. Literally, it's 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 ridiculous to say, but it's they're they're saying it as if it's unfair. And it's like no, it's not unfair. It's just that there aren't many other places where people go and sit for extended periods of time in large groups with other people who have just come to the same place to sit. Right. All places that are like that are shut down. Your place is one of those places. Your place is one of the more volatile businesses. Yes, you got into it because it will make a lot of money if we have people running around and doing stuff. We don't, and we shouldn't right now. And it's not because people don't like you or your business or your industry. That's ridiculous. It's because your place is the place where the highest amount of transmission could happen. So we're starting with shutting you down. And if if, if that doesn't work, guess what? We're going to shut down other stuff. Because we want to keep our community alive, not just not because guess what? Your restaurant won't survive if everyone's dead. So it sucks that you're in a volatile like you. you I hate it sucks. It's there's no nice way to say it. It yes, just sucks. It just sucks. You you took a, a gamble in being in an industry that requires people inside a phys, your physical establishment to function. And historically has never had to have this kind of setback. Exactly. But it's a it's it's a huge gamble and it didn't pay off and I'm very sorry. But it seems like as a society we should all kind of we have to like we have to accept that this probably wouldn't have happened if we had done a good job shutting like we had done a good job constructing and operating and re- being responsible in our complicated system of society to not go out in March I mean, and in April and in May and in June like and every dick, other fucking if you month. Had done this when we told you to. Exactly. It would have happened. Yeah. If we had done it the right the first time, everybody had everybody tried the first time, but we didn't. And we had leaders who deliberately encouraged people to not do that, who deliberately encouraged the indirect murder of other people. And like it's essentially using 
people as biological weapons. You you go out and use your ideology to spread disease, literal disease, not mental disease, yeah. not ideological disease, not thought disease, literal disease. But also and, just fucking around with the, your dad's biological weapon you find found in the closet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, even, not even on purpose. Just, you mean the reference to Jurassic Park? Uh, sure. Because... Because Malcolm says to says to Hammond that you're like a kid who's found his dad's gun. I probably it, it, I'm gonna say my subconscious was doing it. Sure, you're you're an emotional creature. I am you a, don't think about I'm things. I'm a being of pure emotion. <clears throat> yeah. What you see right now is not skin. It's okay. Rage. I don't know why I'm seeing so much of your skin. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. Um, this is weird. Hair. This is happy. Sorry, everyone. Oh God. Um, I don't know. Where were uh, we? biological weapons in your dad's closet? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it it feels like that's it. It's an appreciation for like again. Crichton was right. Like these are things that I've never really thought of before. It's one of the great things about reading. One of the great things about books is you get exposed to these different thought processes and these different concepts. And for me, that's a big one from these two books. Is like, oh yeah we take for granted these complicated systems that are happening around us all the time. And we act like, because we can recognize them, that means we can understand them or we can control them. Mm -hmm. And the truth is we just can't like no amount of mandates is going to stop the guy who decides that his personal anonymity and freedom to go around without a mask on wherever he pleases is going to do that regardless until you make it, until you you go to such degrees that you make it illegal enough to arrest for, in which case, again, you're exposing police to only the worst people right. who are out there spreading disease. Like, it's it's a tough racket trying to stop this stuff. But it would be a lot easier if you had people at the top of the food chain, the political, you know, uh, you know government man- uh, food chain, setting down mandates and saying, no, for real, stop. Everyone, my supporters, stop. It would be a lot easier, and we certainly haven't had that. Um, So, I appreciate Crichton, and I appreciate Malcolm in these ways. Sure. So, that's the end of my notes for that chapter. Do you want to go to the next chapter? Sixth Configuration, Chase. Do you have any notes? I have a note. I've got a note. Trying to find it here in the book. My notes, there's a, there's, a, there's a passage here that I found out of sync with other parts of the book. And so I'm going to read it. And you can tell read me it. what we think. But on this island, the velociraptors had been recreated in a genetics laboratory. Although their physical bodies were genetically determined, their behavior was not... These newly created raptors came into the world with no older animals to guide them, to show them proper raptor behavior. They were on their own, and that was just how they behaved, in a society without structure, without rules, without cooperation. They lived in an uncontrolled, every-creature-for-himself world, herself, where the meanest and nastiest survived and all others died. Which, to me, again, suggests that the herding behavior between the two different types of dinosaurs should not have occurred. No, I actually, that's my note, and I disagree. I think that that actually explains it. Um, It explains that these creatures, in adapting to their new environment without having 
uh, ancestral uh, behavior taught to them as they are reared, they all, all these creatures have to scramble to figure out how to adapt to their new environment, and in those processes developed these symbiotic relationships that could possibly only exist on this island in this experience in this time because as you mentioned those two dinosaurs are from completely different eras of of earth's history so only in this unique and fabricated manufactured circumstance without those uh cultures as malcolm describes it the culture of using tools or having pack strategies or any of that stuff uh, only in this environment could those two dinosaur species create that symbiosis to work together in the way they do. Also, only in an environment with this many predators. It's mentioned many times in the book that there's an abund- overabundance of predatory species on the island and not a lot of herbivore prey species. So here we have two groups of two prey species who are both minimal in number, who have to rely, who have developed the capacity to rely on each other to defend against this overwhelming number of predators on the island. And again, all of that could only happen in this circumstance. Okay. Um, yeah, my my uh, that's my my note. Let me see if I have any notes in the in what I actually wrote. Um, once again, he's on morphine, so he's a genius when he's in morphine. <laughs> um, I think that's a reference to Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> maybe. Um, does Michael or does Malcolm have a have a violin? Um, probably my note is explains Rob's issue with the Parasolophus and the Apatosaurus mixing behavior was correct. Think of it like this. Every dinosaur on this Island, every species, if you want to get a little bit larger is essentially Mowgli. Like they all are dropped into a place that's foreign to them and they have to, or Tarzan or any of those characters, they have to learn through trial and error on their own without anyone guiding them at all to survive. And that will, uh, manifest in these sort of barbaric behaviors or things like that. And in this case with the Apatosaurus and the Parasolophus, uh, a copacetic relationship. Yep. That's my note. All right. That's taken care of then. Next chapter. At the edge of chaos. Uh, I only have a, a side note for this. So I if you have, have a real a note, note. So what's okay, your side my, note? My note here is just sort of like a, a mile marker, which is where's Dodgson. I feel like a lot of time has passed and he should have, he should have awoken from the shed a while ago. Um, that was just a moment where I was like, hmm, feels like we're doing a lot of not talking about how he passed out in that shed. like to get to that. But anyway, that's it. Next okay. chapter. Trailer. I have a note on the second page of the chapter, which is just that uh, I really like seeing Kelly finding herself imitating Sarah's self-confidence simply by having Sarah around as an example mm. to her, which to me was like, Michael Crichton saying representation matters. Yeah. You know, and I really like that. It was like, not only does it matter, not only am I doing it in my story because Sarah is here. Sarah is that character for every, every reader, every young woman who never has, who's never had the opportunity to see a, a, a woman like that. Um, can see it just like Kelly is experiencing it and seeing it. So the kids reading this book get both the character they relate to as themselves, mm-hmm. Kelly, and then they also get this strong female character to who sets the example of what they can do when you don't have a patriarchy telling you you can't or you're ignoring the patriarchy Very true. telling you you can't. Uh, so in that sense, I really liked that. And I I, I, I think I came around to really like it. I don't know if we have to talk about it again more later, but like that's a huge 
enjoyment I've had in this book is the Sarah Harding character and then eventually her relationship with uh, Kelly. Mm -hmm. I really like that. No, it was good. It was good. She has a line later, I wish I had written it down, um, that I really liked. Um, about how people will try to take your achievements away from you so you don't need to do it to yourself. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's something, variant of something I tell my kid all the time. So I re- That's something I, really, I should tell myself more often. Yeah. It, yeah um, I was actually, I kind of went down a little rabbit hole just because I was amused by Malcolm singing Dixie. You were, sorry, say it again. I was amused by Malcolm singing Dixie. Oh yeah. Um, which let me look it up online and it's a really racist song. It oh is, yeah. It, it is it's pro not slavery. Good. Have you heard the North's version? I, I I saw that there were a number of parodies about it. Well, the one that I've heard, as I understand it, is one that was supposedly sung by Northern soldiers in response. Oh, I'm I'm I I, I believe I've heard of this, but I don't I don't know it off the top of my head. Well, the line that uh, Malcolm has in the book, because I don't remember, I didn't look up the actual lyrics. I just have what Malcolm says, but he says. Uh, I don't remember. I don't. I don't think he actually says anything. I think he probably uh, smartly it, uh, allows the the awful stuff in the in the song to to not be present. But the the line that I remember from the way that the parody version I have heard that I like a lot uh, starts with says, "Way down south in the land of traitors, rattlesnakes, and alligators." Oh yes, and I really I like that. See that. I did see that. On I like that one a lot. Um, I think I think actually the oh shit moment for me that. I know I've heard the line before, but it wasn't until I saw it in print that it really dropped the dime was, um, I wish I were in the land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten. And that's when I went, Ooh, oh, that's dark. that, oh my God, I didn't even think about it. Like, uh, maybe I had thought it was old times are forgotten or something. But when I saw it in print, I was like, oh shit, they're talking about the good old day. Oh. Yeah. What, what, they, what do they mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. They mean very specifically one thing. However, I don't think that was Crichton suggesting anything about Malcolm. And I went out on a limb and I actually wondered, um, have you heard the phrase, you're not just whistling Dixie? Yes. Um, and what he was literally doing in this part, even though he's high on morphine, is kind of whistling past the graveyard. Ah, uh, yes. I wondered if Michael Crichton was intending some sort of... Because if you just described Malcolm whistling, he would have... It wouldn't have... The, the joke wouldn't have worked. Right. Um... That made me wonder if he was whistling Dixie past the graveyard. Hmm. That's all I have. Malcolm seems uh, both Crichton and Mal- Crichton seems meta enough, and Malcolm seems clever enough to have done that deliberately. Yeah. So yeah, I, I see that. Uh, that's all I have for that chapter. It's it's funny we keep having the same notes. Um, <laughs> Uh, you have anything more in that chapter? No. Well, then that brings us to the next chapter. Village. Okay. This one. <laughs> I was wondering who's going to say it first. Okay. Um, I, I, Before we get to anything, I want to just call out real quick. And I thought this was going to be my big, uh, hey, look what I noticed in the chapter. Uh, Michael Crichton does, does, does add the last names at odd times. What? Who? He, he just he he refers to Sarah as Sarah Harding right in the middle of the chapter as, after he's already talked about Sarah and there's no other Sarah she could be confused with, and I thought that was very odd. It was just, you know what he didn't do in this book though? He didn't do that thing where he says someone's full name and then gives them a nickname immediately, and he did that a lot in the first. That's book. That's true. 
And he, I don't think I've seen him do it at all in this yeah. book. Um, okay, that's 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 about it. You, we can get into it. All right. So my first note. Let me let me let me cut you off again and say that okay. my my note regarding this is just what the fuck? Because I was I was I was caught unawares. Go ahead, go ahead. You talk. Okay. I'm not going to interrupt again. I am, but go ahead. <laughs> so, firstly, uh, I think that the way this note should start for me is that earlier in the book, there's an acknowledgement that the island has been abandoned for roughly five years. And by earlier in this book, I think maybe in these chapters um, that we're reading for this episode. Mm-hmm. So, that establishes, in fact, like in point of fact, in the world, like this is no unreliable narrator bullshit. This is five years ago, engine went down and dumped everything. Right. And buried this island. So no more nothing. No more shipments. No more nothing. Right. Nothing came to the island. We know that they still have a little bit of power because of some mysterious geothermal energy, which we never explored. Oh, my God. They never um, came back to that. Right. Okay. But, um, which is odd because they, they almost go directly into the geothermal capacity or potential of the first island in the first book. Right. Or, no, hydro, hydro, hydroelectric, not right. geothermal, right, right, hydroelectric. Right, right. But still, the idea of a recurring energy source is present, uh, a renewable energy source is present in the first book, and it's here in the second book, but we never talk about it. But regardless of that, uh, five years is the time. It's established very clearly. Uh, it's, I, I think it's not up for debate, which is it's really important that all that's understood. So what is also not up for debate is, well, what's, what shouldn't really be up for the debate is uh, the, the shelf life of gasoline. So gasoline has a shelf life, uh, that is to say it's good, it will run as intended, uh, depending on the grade and depending on a lot of other things, but roughly about six months. Like you can have, there's additives you can like put in your gasoline to extend that life. There are, you know, I'm sure that there are temperature differentials you can store the gasoline at, which will help it not go bad, but... um, the idea that none of these super smart characters or even possibly Crichton himself know that is problematic. I didn't know me. it. Well, you should. Is, you should know that gasoline not, goes bad. not bad. where I thought you were, we were going to start, but okay. Um, I mean, I keep gasoline, I feel like, in my shed for the lawnmower longer than six months before I use it again, and uh, it's fine. Well, so I've when I googled, wrong right there. That's embarrassing. There, the the source I had was from JD Power as of this July because they brought they, they did it they did a release about uh, people not driving as much because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and they said you, we want you to understand how much like your gasoline has. So maybe they might have a vested interest in people using more gasoline, so they might you know be conservative uh-huh. when it comes to their time limits. Uh-huh. But I remember <laughs> my second source for this is uh the. Fantastic research done for the show Last Man on Earth, <laughs> where uh, a big part of that show is having to find gasoline. And at a certain point in the show's existence and the character's longevity, they discover like, oh shit, all this refined petroleum we've been using, this gasoline that we've been we've been using up freely for generators and our cars and all this other stuff, it's all turning. It's all going bad and no longer working or becoming like jellified and 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 not being very functional. So, I don't remember how long it took in that show. Again, a piece of fiction, but the point really is that it it does happen. Okay, there is a time limit. I would be really surprised 
if it was after five years. Are we allowing for the fact that this is like that 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 really good '90s gas that you just don't get anymore? That <laughs> had like uh, all no the cancerous that additives that they that uh, fucking watchdogs at the EPA made us take out. I feel like most of that was done in the '70s because <laughs> you know the EPA ex- started to exist. Uh huh. And uh, well, I mean, you know, South America that might have different rules also. It's entirely possible. This is that, One this time, is that uncut South American gas. I have I have this story I always tell people where my uh, my parents went to Mongolia for work once, and when they came back, uh, my mom brought me back a can of Mountain Dew from somewhere in Mongolia, and it was in a can. It was in like a it was like a, it was in what looked like a Red Bull can. Okay, and I, I I drank it, and it was the most delicious Mountain Dew I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And my only ra- rationale was they must do something different that they're legally allowed to do <laughs> with the mixture and the the manufacturing in in Mon- or wherever this was manufactured uh, that we wouldn't allow here. I mean, the prevailing theory for a long time is that they, they use sugar, whereas we use corn syrup. That's why Mexican Coke is so much tastier. That might be the case. That might have. Oh, I also know that it tasted, and this is surprising to me because I've never had this feeling again. But it tasted like honey. Huh. Like it had, it had a very distinct and memorable taste of honey in the, in the, the flavor uh, palette. Well, that is very interesting, which I don't think Mountain Dew in the United States has. No, no, it's just, it's just for a sort of antifreeze flavor. Yeah. It's just sort of citrus fire. Yeah. So um, it's like, uh, like an orange threw up in my mouth. Yeah. It's like there's a, the dew of the mountain is was uh, struck by lightning. Citrus bile. um i don't know what the answer is it just it it bugged me like i tried looking it up and i got i got a little bit of traction and then also some memory stuff but i'm very it's like the alligator nipple thing i'm very confident that like there aren't there aren't gasolines diesel that's another thing diesel does last longer Mm -hmm. but and we don't know what this boat runs on i guess but, like, the idea that none of these people would even know that there's a thing they should consider. Right. Like, you could do the math easily if you know, okay, the average lifespan of gasoline in terms of its functionality. And, again, six six months is when it starts to start – actually just starts to degrade. It might not be fully useless for a longer time than that. Sure. But, like, the degradation – the noticeable degradation apparently starts around six months. Um. So if you, any of you listening have a vehicle or somewhere that's been locked up for this whole pandemic and hasn't had uh, gasoline run through it in that time, you should probably get out there and run that thing. Uh, maybe empty it. Yeah, maybe empty it and refill it with new gasoline. Uh, it'll probably pay off for you in the future. Uh, so that was my first note. Okay. Uh, I would feel like I would like you to start whatever your note is. <laughs> well... It's about the magical chameleon carnotaurs. Oh, that's my second note also. Oh, good. Good. The 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 ones that have a chameleon factor that is not seen anywhere in nature and is only seen in predator films. Mm, ooh, you might want to walk that back. Nope, absolutely 100%. <laughs> Okay, I'll 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 I'll, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. Okay, you 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 you. 
You help me out. I'm ready to. <laughs> um, I think that the first thing we should acknowledge is that I can't think... I can't. And I, I would uh, guess you can't. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's back up. Uh, it's, uh, see? It's okay. It's going to be Maybe I'll help you out now. Let's start with what Michael Crichton asserts are the descendants of dinosaurs. Uh, essentially, you have birds. Yes. Um, a lot of argument, and not argument, but a lot of uh, evidence could be given that in these books specifically, he says they are reminiscent of birds or, or, or ancestors of birds, but then he, in describing them, is constantly describing them as lizards. Right. Constantly describing them as being scaled reptilian behaviors like reptiles. They root and they nest in, in in dirt like reptiles. Sure. He he's he's say with one hand and do with another. So it's convoluted. They have amphibian DNA that magically matches and can fill in the the DNA code gaps, even though these are ostensibly bird ancestors. So there's things like that. <laughs> Where it's just like the science is either amazingly complicated and correct and no one has made a big deal about it or that I haven't heard about at least or he's just a fiction writer and it's wrong. Um, so if we look at birds and reptiles, start with birds. I can't think of a single uh, bird that has that ability. The, um, the, the I can, color changing ability. Yes, yeah. because the most important part of that is that we're talking about, uh, presumably, feathers. Feathers, uh, as a extension of the body, like the hair uh, of birds, don't don't have that capacity. I, I can't think I mean, of a single only thing one I can, that does the, that. The closest I can think of is the flamingo, which is pink because it eats a kind of shrimp. But that's, but that's environment. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not camouflage. You're talking about a dye. You're talking about it being dyed. By right. The, that's the by, only by color the, changing. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. Um. And. Yeah. I mean, I. I. That's that's not a response to. That's not a camouflage response, like you're saying. That that's a response because of environmental pressures that's like how sloths fur turns green because they're soaked in algae all the time mm -hmm. it's it's not that they are they've they've cracked a genetic code to turn their hair green it's that they're sitting in muck right um so birds feathers don't really do that i can't think of a single one if you can email death readers let's go to reptiles amphibians uh let's just, just cut the other chase and say chameleons they don't do it like that. No. <laughs> it's very different. It's it's a uh, outside of cartoons, they can't yes. stand in front of a a plaid pattern and become plaid. Exactly. It's not really the same. So, let's get to the animals that can kind of do it. Uh cephalopods. They octopus, cuttlefish, they do have these pretty incredible and visually striking capacities to blend in with their surroundings and it's blend into a variety of their surroundings. It's actually fucking crazy. Like it's, it's really intense and beautiful and bizarre because they do it quickly and they do it almost reflexively. It's fascinating, but those are an entirely different section of the, of the, 
kingdoms of animals or whatever. They're, those aren't vertebrates. How, you know, how like, varied can their patterns be? It, it can be speckled and things like that. But not like, like as a, far as I remember seeing. Not like a chain link fence. Well, I've never seen that tested, but probably not. And that's so, that's so, where my credulity is strained. And I and I, I can I agree with you. All I was all I was getting pedantic with is your note of never seen in the animal kingdom. While not incorrect, I did want to acknowledge the closest we can get or can see in the animal kingdom is octopus cephal- uh, and and cuttlefish. And I appreciate your pedantry. Well, it's also hopefully educational. Some people you should go watch, uh, you know, David Attenborough documentaries and and see because that's all we talk about now. Um, <laughs> and, and see, uh, see some octopuses, you know, hide and shit. It's it's fucking beautiful. So let us continue in dissecting this chameleon dinosaur. So Thorn goes out to the shed and realizes, I guess he's being watched. Yeah. And staring at the uh, the fence and the moving bushes, he realizes there are two dinosaurs staring at him, disguised basically invisibly. Yep, they are the... Uh, they're, they're hiding from and And death against multi-tones. Cloaks. They look like uh, the horizon, the chain link fence in front of it, the sky and the bushes... And I'm like, how does that work without some sort of photoreceptor, like a camera pointed at the thing you're trying to emulate to even do that? How, how it doesn't that doesn't it doesn't make sense to me on a biological like I could I could understand a like an octopus against coral or a, a, a sandy, pebbly beach where it can like I need to look like all of this, but have all the the knowledge of the lighting and the shades and the variations behind you and become that, that, that doesn't make sense. You should definitely look up some videos of it later, or I will, and I'll send them to you. But and we can both this agree. Is this is the idea. stupidest thing ever put to paper. What I can agree with is that I agree with everything you've said. Uh, I, I think that you I'll take it. You're correct in that it is stupid. The way he describes it, it is far too complex and, and bizarre for it to happen in, any creatures and unfortunately more than anything i think it is mostly here to for to that's not the right word but what i hate most about it is that it's clearly the inspiration for the indominus rex sure and the indominus rex sucks <laughs> the indominus rex sucks it does that's not what i hate most about it okay as stupid as it is as as a completely different kind of sci-fi as it is, totally different. Whereas before you have everything kind of rooted in science, taken, you know, one step farther, he's now gone leaps and bounds farther and made something out of a really, you know, like space opera kind of silly. Um, That's not what I hate about it. What I really hate about it is it's such a one-off. This should be a book. This should be, we have these dinosaurs that can do this, and this is a, we are being hunted, we can't see anything, this is Jaws in and of itself, but he has it for, uh, it's a device that will allow us to not be plagued by the other dinosaurs until a certain time when it no longer matters, and it's, uh, 
a waste of a waste of time, a waste of resources, well, a waste of my interest. I think it, the the biggest sin, honestly, is that it's those are sort of retconned into being the dinosaurs that attack uh, Levine in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Like he he sort of has this moment where he goes, "Oh yeah, those are the things that attacked me that ate Diego in, when I got to the island right away." And the way they were, the way it was set up at the beginning, makes you think it's raptors. Now that bait and switch would be cool if these dinosaurs did anything. Yeah. But they don't. they don't. So it it feels like at a certain point, for all the time they had, Levine, Levine would have had an opportunity to tell someone, oh, by the way, this weird thing happened when I got here. I brought this guy here. He died. Uh, we were attacked by some dinosaurs. We don't. I don't know what they were because observations. He's the most observant character in the in this book. And if he's not, if he's not going to tell everyone, by the way, there are camp, like there are predator dinosaurs here. And I know I don't mean like predator prey. I mean like the, the Schwarzenegger movie. I mean like, you know, like Apollo Creed sure. in the jungle with the machine gun. Like, I mean like Jean-Claude Van Damme in a silly alien costume and then walking off the set. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, Shane Black telling jokes in a helicopter predator. Like I'm talking about. She said the jungle came alive and ate him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking like the governor of California soaked in mud. I'm talking about predator. <laughs> like it's like that that kind of uh, camouflage, and he doesn't, and it doesn't. That's feels like a pretty big loose end to wrap up in this weird way. Like, why not just make it raptors? Like, why not just well, because raptors like, have been done. This is that, but they okay. Go ahead. I just. It, it springs from what you said. I think I think it was last episode how you have four different monsters, and so you have to have four different unique deaths. Um, right. In the last book, he had the whole, but whoa, the Dilophosaurus could spit poison, and you know that no one ever thought about that. And whoa, and so now we got to take it one step farther. And we have to have a dinosaur. What would the next thing? A chameleon dinosaur. Right. Um. But I guess it would take too long to set up a realistic chameleon. So we'll just have it be a magical chameleon, but then do nothing with it. Yeah. They that's my they problem. Don't even, I mean, I guess they, they got poor Diego, but at least the Dilophosaurus had like, you know, uh, a, a really moment with, scene. with Nedry. Yeah. It right. made it, it, it meant something. Yeah. And, and the Dilophosaurus were famously the no show dinosaurs. They were the dinosaurs in the very beginning of the book mm-hmm. that were like, Oh no, they're supposed to be the first dinosaur on the tour and they're not here. Oh bummer! Right, and then you get them, and 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 the, the poetry there is you get them, and then you kind of wish you had. Yeah, them you don't want them. Scary. Now. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 well done. I think that, on that note about the thing I said last episode, or whenever I said it, uh, compies don't get a kill. No, in this book, no, they don't. They 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 get close a couple times, but they basically get relegated to the like to the dustbin yeah. they're, they're not present except for i don't think beyond when they bite dodson or or levine i can't remember which one happens last but we never see copies again no they really have to eat shit in this book they literally and i get what you were doing i don't and they what? do literally what what do you mean get what i was doing that was did i do something the copies were eating feces <laughs> that's such a great line the copies were eating feces uh uh yeah, and you know, the the carnit the way the carnotaurs scene is done is kind of embarrassing because it just 
every time they flip on the lights and it changes what you know what they have to blend in with it i just i just imagine like i swear there's a calvin and Hobbes strip where he was playing he was pretending to be a dinosaur and then got scolded by a parent or a teacher and then showed him as like a sulking dinosaur like pouting <laughs> like that's what i see here like these, these carnivores like oh, stop turning on the lights man I'm trying to right. eat you now, I, I will say that his description of the the stalking predators that stand very still and attack was good. Like, There's a thrill to the idea, but it didn't... No, no, I'm saying those things exist in nature. Sure. And so, like, the idea of having a dinosaur that does that is cool, but it would be cooler if that dinosaur hid in a way that was more realistic. Sure. Like, the hiding in a tree or hiding behind bushes or, like something like maybe maybe it's the thing where it's like oh you don't realize that like the fur or the the feathers on this dinosaur uh resemble foliage oh yeah no like, absolutely very well absolutely like and, and they and in the in the in the trees they're almost invisible if you can organically like get that james cameron moment from aliens where the set comes alive and you realize you're surrounded by fucking aliens right that's yes that's or, great or or even owls like owls are a bird that does what this thing's supposed to be doing they sit somewhere they turn their heads into 360 or however much they actually can turn it they swivel like crazy they have huge eyes so they can see very well in the dark and then they silently snatch up uh prey before the prey even knows it's being watched right like that's what he's trying to go after so just write it like an owl yeah write it sitting in a tree very still you don't realize it's there until you see it. And when you see it, you know you see it, but it's not moving. And then you try to escape and it just slowly and quietly descends upon you with great force, faster than you could imagine. And suddenly, as he loves to write, you're on your stomach on the ground getting your backpack torn to shreds because everybody's got to have a backpack <laughs> torn to shreds. Uh, I'm sure you backpacks, have... Michael Creighton. Is it because you were, he, has, he, has, he was a fucking brainer. That's where he kept all his he books. Has, no, he has stock in Jansport. Um, the uh, yeah, that I, that's obviously also my note for this chapter is just that this was a weird thing that showed up out of nowhere. Uh, hard to visualize, hard to comprehend, hard to appreciate. Yeah. Uh, so basically, not worth doing. It's totally not worth doing. And, and again, uh, I'll just reiterate it, knowing that this is, I, I'm like, almost feel like there are people who love the Indominus Rex who would feel like, well, it's like totally like in the book where, uh, you know, this other dinosaur was all camouflage and invisible-like. And it's like, yeah, but that sucked. <laughs> like, you're saying one thing's good because it was based on a thing that sucked. No, they both suck. They both suck. They both suck. Um, so, uh, I think that's all I have for that. All right. Well, that brings us to the next chapter. Uh, good mother. I didn't. I didn't really have anything. My note here is just that at this point, I'm. I feel like I'm having trouble really envisioning how large the island is. Uh, I. I. They. Again, talking about his space work, like I don't know. I don't really know from where to where, the distance is. Like they talk about. Is this is this when Sarah leaves on her bike and suddenly she's at the car? Yeah. Okay. Because that did seem it's like real quick. She she'll be there in five minutes, and it's like five minutes, or ten minutes. Okay, five ten minutes. All right. Yeah. Um, I. He, of the things he's good with, space work is not one of them. 
Or even like I had to use my I had to use my map in my book to figure out where the trailers were. Like and where they fell. Mm-hmm. Like, did you know that they fell into the center of the island? No. No, I don't I think I assumed it was a coastal cliff. Yeah, guess what? Not a coastal cliff. <laughs> huh. Um so if I'm right, they should be right around here. Yeah, that's about right. Okay. No, I got them. They're right here. Okay, so right here. And you'll notice here is like a cliff in the middle. Mm-hmm. So this is like an elevated landing area. So they fall over the cliff down here. So why didn't they just go down the cliff? <laughs> why didn't they just ride around and go pick up all that gas they had in there? That would definitely be fresh. I mean, except they didn't have time. Right. Because the, for some reason the helicopters show up and then bail. I don't even know if we're there yet. But like. We're, we're not. But. Ugh. Some ugh. Yeah. All right. Um, um, that's just something I have a problem with. It's just, I, I, I couldn't, I, I have a hard time understanding where things are on this island and how big it is and what goes where. It's just, it's too much. Next chapter. Dodgson. Let's get through it. I have no notes. You don't have notes. <laughs> You're right. I don't. All right. Moving to the next chapter. Explorer. Yay. That was a satisfying near end for Dodgson. Yay. Next chapter. Um, <laughs> cause you, do you have a note? Do I have a note? I felt I felt that um, I enjoyed Sarah kind of flouting Levine, but it was diminished because his misogyny was so lazy. Yeah, there's a line earlier about how she's a muscle-bound female, and I'm like, I feel like you're not trying. I well, okay, not to overly defend Crichton, but I in situations like this, I wonder what did misogyny sound like thirty years ago? I don't even. I just feel like he's trying to add another aspect to to Levine that to make him unlikable, and it just doesn't feel fully realized. Okay, I can feel you there because we we've talked before about this whole thing about this is why he could never live with a woman yeah. stuff. Like it's it's just like it, spend a little more time on it, man. I, I get it, but uh... it's it's funny because so often men have take to misogyny so easily. <laughs> You're just not applying yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I, I no. I did have another note, which was I. I re- damn Sarah Harding. I am here for your cold-blooded murder. Yeah, totally. That Put, was... pushing him out under from under the car. Oh man! Slowly, just like I'm killing you, and then he's just like what, 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 what? And the T Rex gets him. Does good. I yeah, man. I I came home after reading that and was talking to my wife about it, and I was like. I was just gushing over like Sarah Harding and her character and everything. So yeah, I very satisfying. Yes. Uh, that, I have no more. Do you have any more no in more that notes. chapter? All right, let's go to the next chapter. Daylight. No notes. My note here is that I, I kind of feel like the Dodgson thing was the climax of the book for me. Yeah. Like at that was really the point where I'm like, cool. I feel like everything's solved now they just need to get off the island. And I I feel like the rest of the book is sort of a long, they get off the island. You know what? You are incredibly right. I'm going to, do I do this? I'm going I'm to do this now, even though it's going to be a little bit of a spoiler Uh-oh. for everyone following along. But just because I had so 
many instances of not having notes, I have a list of chapters here. Okay. And they go, a way out, escape, exit, departure. And yes, yes it very much feels like he's just prolonging the denouement. Right. And it's not really one. No, it's, it's not really it's, one. It's it's just this is all the resolution of the book at this point for me, and it's it's unnecessarily long. Yes, I, I mean maybe I don't know. I don't. I, I, it just feels like, yeah, man, they get off. They get off right, and then he he doesn't even let them really get off the island. He just gets them onto a boat, and then it's like done. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> hopefully they'll get picked up. Hopefully they get enough gas to get the mainland. Enough jellified gas that doesn't work. Right. Um. Yeah, my, my note here is I, I just feel like the rest of the book is only going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm mostly right. Because right. n- next chapter... A way out. I have no notes. No. Go into the next no, chapter. I mean, well, I mean, I could talk about it a little bit in that... Okay, try. They've really wasted my time with that graphical <laughs> interface doing yes. its 3D thing. Yes. Oh, God. They spent a long time on that just for her to figure out there's a tunnel under the floor. And the reasoning was like because there had to be a separate CPU to process those graphics without explaining why did they need to make those graphics right like why why did the why did the kiosk at the cashier's register need to connect to all the other security systems talk about a fucking flaw in the security <laughs> like why did that like why did that have to have like a KVM or something to port into another computer somewhere else. And even if that was the case, if it was just like a KVM, then that computer wouldn't need to have the processing power to handle it. The other computer would be doing it. And the monitor here would just be like patching in to see what the other virtual monitor on the other computer that's actually doing the processing looks like. And I feel like the Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton would have explained all of those things. Uh, Not just, oh, it's too powerful. There must be something here. He would have told us why they had it. See, I think it's more it's 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 even maybe more sinister than that. I think he knows people like the graphic design of the first book with all the computer stuff in it and he didn't have it in this book. And so he's like, "God, I really need to get that in the oh. book and I'm going to take it up a notch by making it 3D." That's... And I think this chapter was them just shoehorning it in because it was a thing from the first book. I feel there's a lot of that here, but I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next chapter. Escape. No notes. No notes. <laughs> next chapter. Exit. Wow. Pretty redundant chapter <laughs> names. Um, my my note here is it wasn't difficult to predict, predict this ending, at least from the moment the Rex took Dodgson away without eating him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, this and, was and even, beyond yeah. telegraphed. And even, again, more than that, because Sarah pushing him out was already the climax. Right. Like, this is just prolong this is like an attempt at tantric writing it's it's like he's really trying to draw out this climax and i don't think it's working i think he's failing i i i think you try to make him so evil so he could have the vicious death or had the vicious death because he thought he made him so evil i didn't even get that dark twilight zone thrill from it it's just like yeah even the you know he's like oh and he sees his own face being eaten and it's like all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much. Next chapter. Seventh configuration, departure. God, we have to, seven. Like, this is. Uh, it's the last chapter. Like, yeah, it's like, why, why do you need to? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
my thought here is I have a couple, I guess. Sure. Uh, maybe Malcolm's right. Maybe our function is to destroy life on Earth. Uh, maybe we're like antibodies. I've had that. But at the same time, I've had that thought before. But at the same time, it sounds like something a 15-year-old would pitch. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I had that thought, it's right. Our, we we are the byproduct. Our, 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 our consciousness is the byproduct of, of living. There's a million ways you could look at it. It's all an accident. We make such a big deal out of it because we're intelligent and that's all accidental. And the real point of us is just to consume like fucking locusts. But I, like exactly <laughs> like you said, 15 years old. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed when I realized that the frog DNA of this book was sheep protein. Yeah, they all had mal- so dumb. Mad cow disease, and it's like <sighs> I like that. That could have been explored and interesting, but you just—it's also it. It smacks of the we're gonna use dinosaurs to test cosmetics on. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah. It it smacks of this was a very hot topic at the time, mm-hmm. and. Almost like he relied too heavily on trendy news items yeah. to beef up his story, yeah, 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 yeah. and it just it beefed it up like sheep, like rotten sheep flesh. He muttoned uh, it up. Yeah, he did. Because because mutton's the, the meat you get from. Sheep. I know what it is. Sheep's. Yep. I feel like I, in my head, I can hear a ticking clock acknowledging that. <laughs> Our jokes are bombing. Um, the uh, <laughs> yeah, I also didn't like how it ends. Like they're they they find a, a, a immaculate boat just gently rocking on waves, like in in a some sort of secluded cove that's protected from all weather. Like, is this the same? place sarah found herself when she swam back to the island well, or this is, is this a, a, this is a boat dock? house right this is like where did she land uh, i think it was a dock uh, through a cave yeah look at your little map but i mean it's funny because before they discovered this I was also thinking, what about Dodson's boat? Did the boat just leave them? Because I didn't remember. Yes, oh, the answer is yes. Okay. It did. It did leave. Uh, well, remember that uh, King was trying to get to the boat because he was gonna have a Dr. Seuss beer. Right, and, and they took off. And they took, or he died before he sure, got there, sure. and so we're we're left to fill in the blanks and say they're gone. Right, to sheep protein they, it. Right. <laughs> Um, um, but I mean, I don't know enough about boats. Would is that how you would store a boat for five years? Would it still be seaworthy? I don't know. I mean, I mean describe I, it as I, a power boat, which it seems small for. I mean, I I know it's it's an island off the coast of South America, but it seemed like there was a pretty big gap. So I don't yeah. know if you'd want to take a little power boat across that. Um, but even then, yeah, would 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 you keep a boat in the water like that? I don't know. I same. Um. I, I I mean, whether or not you would, the question is, could it withstand it? Sure. And my my question is, we're talking about islands that, presumably this island and the other island are in a chain, the five deaths, like they're supposed to be near each other. Um, I don't I don't know if Isla Nublar was one of those. Oh well, well I guess I assumed it was. Uh, but they they have a tendency to be hit with tropical storms. Mm-hmm. So like, 
Um, maybe because of the cave network system they have where they've built these boat docks, this boat itself was so perfectly preserved that it would have no problem surviving that long in, in water and without being uh, like destroyed or uh, damaged by, by weather. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's a pedantic. I mean, that's, that's a real minor thing. Honestly, it's, it's more just like, it's an unsatisfying end of the book where they're just like, all right, now look at the compass and point me in this direction. Yeah. That's off into the sunset. Going. I mean, very sunset. Not even as, it, not even as little closure as the original Jurassic Park had, where it's well, right. we're stuck here because the government won't let us leave. We don't have the kids talking to their parents. We don't even get that Goonies ending. But we get that little bit of like the the mystery and the wonder of maybe the dinosaurs made it off the island, and we don't address that at all in this book. Yeah. Like in the very beginning, I think they talk about like the uh, the dinosaurs washing ashore. Yeah, which I don't know if they really clarify either. <laughs> um. They, I think they do a little bit, I, I, like I, loosely, I, I, where they talk that, about the the, the dinosaurs dying and going into the river and floating to where the raptors nest, yeah. and all the rotten animals there. But like, according to my little map, uh, most of this island is like it's it's a it's a caldera island or whatever you call that. It's it's all the trees and the wildlife and everything exist inside of a like a, volcanic depression a bowl. Yeah, yeah. So so to get over and out you'd have to according to the way this works you basically have to be a dinosaur that dies in one of the cave systems that's connected to the ocean and then find your way out into the current that would take you somewhere now maybe that happens it's not impossible but it also just seems convenient for how frequently it was happening on the uh mainland and also we're not getting any information about the uh the like what happened to the dinosaurs that made it to the mainland like that's the story i want to hear about like that's where jurassic park leaves off that opens up this opportunity for this crazy like thing that could happen and it it this book doesn't touch it at all almost mm-hmm. it has a separate idea about the site b which was never alluded to in the first book i guess it kind of makes sense except that it contradicts things that are said in the first book and it fixes that by saying the first book was dumb don't pay attention to the first book. <laughs> Obviously that shit was wrong and it was just it was just show. It was all flea circus. It's, you know, actually it was much more complicated and well thought out as opposed to how I originally pitched it. So it it it, it seems like a a weak apology. Okay, so what's your thought on the book as a whole? That's what I, that's where I was going and I did not right. introduce it. It seems like a weak apology. It seems like a cash grab. It seemed like Michael Crichton would sit down. I, I can visualize it. I can reconstruct his process, his writing process, where he'd sit down and go, I don't know. Can they just get off the island? No. They go to a gas station and hell up for a bit. But I don't want the other dinosaurs. Oh, magic dinosaurs. Yeah, we'll have magic dinosaurs there for, for just the night, and they'll go away like vampires. And then we'll have the raptors show up. They'll, 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 be like, they'll clock out. The, the magic dinosaurs will clock out. And the raptors will come in and be like, Morning, Sam. And the carnotaurs <laughs> will be like, Morning, Ralph. And the carnotaurs will go off to bed. And the raptors will clock on and then attack. And Dodson, we haven't seen Dodson for a while. Uh, I mean, fuck. I, I, was not, I was not impressed. I was not impressed the second time. My initial impression was right. I don't like the book. <laughs> what about you? Fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, I, 
I don't know if I could say... Okay, let's start with... Um, I think if I was going to recommend this book to someone, that person would have to be a person who really liked Jurassic Park. Okay. And just wanted more Jurassic Park. And didn't care what the more Jurassic Park looked like as long as it was more Jurassic Park. If that is your standard level, if that's all you want is just more of the brand you like by the writer you like featuring characters that you recognize, you are the audience for The Lost World. Um, as long as you don't but, like quality. What I'm saying <laughs> is you, you can want all those things and and disregard quality. Sure. That's that's I guess what I'm saying. If if you like don't like go into it not expecting to read a quality book, but or a a a, a fantastic book, but go into it because you want to read more Jurassic Park. Yes. That's it. Yeah, no, I got you. Have all those um, things that you want and uh, no sense of standards. I just thought that this was my time. Hmm. Talk, it is. I'm reframing what you're saying, so everyone can understand it. Well. I thought I was. I thought I was perfectly clear <laughs> what I was saying, and it, it feels like it feels like what's happening is, uh, you have a soapbox, and you have a drum you'd like to beat, and you have a chip that you'd like everyone to see, and uh, uh, you're using my time to showcase it, and that's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm sorry. What else would you like to say? And I won't say anything. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's who I would recommend it to. That that's, it's, 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 it's not, that's not a, uh, that's not a glorious recommendation. <laughs> it's, it's not great. Um, I know it sounds to me <laughs> like you're trying to find a positive spin. Well, I do think it's, it's a good thing to do to say something positive in a review. Um, and so you should consider thinking about one because I will ask you if you ha- if you can come up with one. Or I will me first, I'll challenge you to come up with something positive to say. That's not a hard thing to do. Okay. So for me, uh, I still I think enjoyed it overall mm-hmm. because I I I am I, I can find the joy in just more Jurassic Park. But more than that, I I because I there's a lot of it I didn't like. A lot of it that isn't enjoyable, a lot of it's this just feels like treading water or reading just boring stuff. But the stuff that I really liked was like, I like Malcolm on morphine. Unfortunately that came at the end of the book. I read, but but more than that, what really overshadows all of the rest of the book is how much I enjoyed reading the chapters where Sarah Harding got to be a badass. That if it's, it's that is the part of the book that makes me not say I wouldn't recommend this to anyone because it's, if you are hungry for a character like that, if you if it's a tough it's a tough thing, because I feel like a character like Sarah Harding is awesome and fantastic and noteworthy. And unfortunately, the reason she's noteworthy is because I don't see enough of characters like that, and that's partially my fault, and it's also partially the fault of the marketplace. Um, so I feel like it's important to recognize that. This is a place where you can get that thing if you want that thing. And like we said earlier, representation does matter. Absolutely. So so pointing out that this is a story that has that in it. The first Jurassic Park doesn't. It's non-existent in the first book. Ellie is Ellie has her moments, but it's nothing like this. Sure. 
the, the stuff Ellie does in the movie is stuff that Gennaro does in the book. Right. So, like, it's it's not the same. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And I agree. So, so for me, like, I, I liked Sarah and I liked Kelly and I liked their relationship so much that that puts the book over the line on the positive for me because I can... I, I have the capacity to exclude all the stuff I didn't like about it and go, I don't, I'm not going to spend my life thinking about that stuff, but I can say that the positive and the takeaway from this book that I really enjoyed was this strong female character that overcomes every adversity and to some extent is kind of a Mary Sue. Like she doesn't do anything wrong almost ever, which is not like, that's not really a detriment. It's just also one of those like, are you just building a a, a a superhero, or are you building a character? Now, the only the only flaws I can say that she definitely has, is she and she addresses, is like she has things she's overcome in her past, and she re- uses that knowledge that she gained through you know struggling against people who've decided they didn't want to advance her because she's a woman or thought down of her or all these other things that she has had to deal with it as as a uh, a woman in her life uh that's all in the past that's not really something she's actively dealing with but she's using that knowledge to help educate a young woman to uh who could be on the path to losing the fight against those things on a better path to maybe succeed sure so that is the thing unfortunately she has to share this book with a whole bunch of dumb men she has to she's one out of like six yep. and all those guys get way more page time and they suck, and they are not as enjoyable, and so you have to suffer through through them to get the cool stuff she does. And I'm not saying that this book is a bastion of femininity or uh, or or pro female like storytelling, but I am saying it has its moments. I think the moments are actually part of the problem for me. Yeah, both those and the uh, the ones where Malcolm's waxing philosophical on morphine. Because that's when it feels like Crichton wakes up and shines. And that throws yeah. into contrast everything else. It's so tedious. It's not even like there's an equal amount. If there was an equal amount, I might like the book more. But it's so much tedium I have to get through. And I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. And then this bright moment of Sarah Harding being awesome. Or with Malcolm saying something. Like, there was that science chapter where earlier. He wasn't, Morphine wasn't even yet involved. And we were both like, this is fantastic. I would listen to a whole bunch of this. Yeah, and then it just goes back to events that don't have any heart behind them, and that roller coaster just makes me not want to read it. Because when, yeah. well, when, when well, those good moments are good, they're good, and then you have these gulfs of of tedium. It, well, the way you describe it reminds me of uh, the thing, the story Kevin Smith tells about uh, shooting Cop Out. About how he had a he had a really hard time shooting that movie and working with Bruce Willis, his hero, and hard time like he didn't write the script, so he he just had a lot of problems with right. it. And and there's this moment he describes somewhere that I saw where he had a hard time directing Bruce Willis, and he had a moment where he asked him, he just went out on a limb and was like, you know, there was an episode of the what was that TV show he, Bruce Willis was on Moonlighting. in the eighties. He's like, there's this episode of Moonlighting or this thing you did at this moment in this episode that I remember, and I loved that. Do you think that you could do that again? Like, because that's what I want in this moment. And the response he got back, and obviously I'm paraphrasing all this, from Bruce Willis was something like, you want me to try to remember how I behaved in a scene in a movie from 30 years ago. 
in one scene. You think you you do you think that's a reasonable request to ask of me in this moment? And and Kevin Smith was basically like, I gotta try, I guess. <laughs> it's my job. And and Bruce Willis was like, fine. And Bruce Willis pulled it off. Apparently, he was able to for that brief moment let go of his ego, let go of who he feel like he felt like he had become and what he should be uh, respected as or have like 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 bask in the glory of. Sure. And let that go and pulled out this thing from 30 years ago, this this glistening golden egg of a performance and pulled it off for one moment in that movie. And uh, it sounds like, but that movie sucks right, 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 right. from all account. Like I haven't seen it. I'll be, I'll be honest. I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard nothing but bad things about sure. it. So like, it sounds like you're saying the same thing. Like there could be, nuggets of quality in a bad movie or a bad story sure. but those two those nuggets are really for you call more to mind how bad the surrounding garbage is and you it's hard to like tolerate all like like it's like if you had a good chocolate chip in a bad chocolate chip cookie exactly like exactly that's what a that's bad like. yes. it's a bad cookie mm-hmm. like it's just a bad cookie you you can you, you can have the best chips in the world Chips ahoy, but you 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 couldn't. Shame, you still have a bad cookie. You. Um, I so I I guess I get it. It's just for me. I'm like throwing out the cookie. Sure, I'm just eating the chips. <laughs> More power to you. Um, or maybe you found some pleasant milk to dip it into that will soften it up. Perhaps. Um, the milk of human kindness. I'm all out. Or 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 the uh, homogenous goat milk. Yeah. Wait, was that hypoallergenic? Hypoallergenic, hypoallergenic goat milk. Uh, I think one of the only things left to talk about, though, then, is Malcolm. Well, did you have anything positive to say? Oh, damn it. I mean, I said the positive things I was going to say. Did you? What were they? That I liked Sarah Harding and Malcolm Waxing Philosophical, but... Uh, same thing as I yeah, liked. Yeah, same thing as you like. I just I couldn't like it's the fine. book because of it. Understood. That's fine. We can move on. Okay. What were you going to say? Uh, the only other thing left to talk about that I that that we have hanging, as far as I can remember, is uh, Malcolm's character growth and lack thereof. And how yeah, I feel like this uh, supports my theory that he is an author surrogate, and then Michael Crichton thinks the world of himself, and he's a science rock star, and is crap. It's entirely possible. <laughs> I remember the point I made, just that we had a sort of bet that if there was no character growth, I was right. I don't know. I don't know if there was a bet. No, I think it, was, it was a. I think it was more like a. I have the capacity to give the benefit of the doubt because there's more book to read, and you were like, "No, <laughs> there's no more book to which, read. We're which, on. Which, we're on episode one." Which proves that I don't need all the facts to uh, be right. Do you think that's the lesson you <laughs> yeah, should you take away from jump things? to a conclusion? I'm right, and we move on to the next conclusion to jump to. I can, I'm leaping from conclusion to conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> it seem, certainly seems that way. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm again, I'm not going to say that I can't see your argument. I don't – I think it's, it's just presumptuous to declare it. Um, because I, I think there are because because there's one element that's like he's an author surrogate. There's another that's the audience likes him and it's. But did it's, he become more 
author-like once the audience liked him because Michael Crichton wanted to be liked. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think there's a large amount of every author in every one of their characters. Well, obviously, yes. Um, right. And so I think Malcolm served in the first book as the author's surrogate so that Crichton could have his moments to pontificate while he put Malcolm... Like, okay... I think morphine in the world of Jurassic Park functions as a way to bridge the gap between fiction and reality. Okay. It, it more so than if you're going to talk on like a meta level on like a Deadpool level, um, when, when Malcolm gets morphine, he becomes less like the character of Ian Malcolm it becomes more like the philosophizing aspects of Michael Crichton. And, and it's an op- it becomes a platform for God, Michael Crichton to speak through the character mm into the world the thoughts he wishes he could speak into his realm sure. which he he can and can't he can only do that through this passage through this magic this divination of through malcolm he can speak to a large audience that will listen to him because there's a disconnect between them it's the burning so bush the, exactly malcolm is, the morphine is the burning bush he it's the conduit through which god speaks to the world and Crichton being God in this situation, the creator in this situation, uh, gives that capacity or, or like he uses that to speak through him. So I, I think he was doing that well into the first book. I think most of the stuff we liked about the first book were those things. Sure. Um, maybe not most of the stuff, but like those were huge, surprising chunks of amazing shit in the first book that were a huge takeaway for me. Um, they're still here, but they're less prevalent and they're when they hit their like it kind of feels like chasing the dragon like it kind of feels like we've already had the best high we're gonna get with this thing but all we're doing by reading this book is chasing that feeling again like what if i could i get it back could i get it back in a new way that feels different it's like not really uh i mean the things he says in the last couple chapters are pretty heavy and right and awesome but like they're not they're not as like impactful i feel like as the the ones in the first book so what I'm saying is I think that your assertion that he is an author's conduit or an author's surrogate isn't incorrect, but I also don't think it's novel. I think it existed well before. I think it's honestly part of what is goes into Malcolm's character from the onset. No, I, I, I agree. From the onset of the first book or this book? First book. From the onset of Morphine. <laughs> I agree with that. I just feel like... Crichton in this book is leaning into it like it's become more of a fantasy for him what do you mean fantasy he wants to be Ian Malcolm oh okay you're saying it's wish fulfillment yes that's thank you that was the phrase that was eluding me it's 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 more wish fulfillment than ever it was before right okay fair enough maybe I can see that um I don't know how successful he is because he also makes Malcolm a inconsequential jerk like because he doesn't do anything okay but that is where i started to use that to say it was reflecting Crichton himself being an inconsequential jerk because malcolm has no character growth and that's why it just seems like it's a reflection of i feel like you could sort of reverse engineer psychoanalysis of michael Crichton from this version of malcolm right um maybe i don't know man um, it's entirely possible. 
I, I, I feel like it's still a little too inconclusive for me, I guess. That's fair. Have we final thought it all good? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if I could, I would only recommend this book to people who already like Jurassic Park quite a lot and just wanted more. Sarah Harding's great. Malcolm on Morphine's great. Uh, but that's... It's a book that's larger than... It's a sequel that's larger than the first book, mm-hmm. than its predecessor. So Jurassic Park's relatively short in, in comparison. And it has far less value. It, it feels it feels emptier. Yeah. It's like what are those things, uh, those marzipan cookies. The ones that are like those brittle, flaky, like custard that's been hardened and just are like empty inside. Oh, 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 oh. Like, like, like a macaron? Yeah, like, well, except those don't macarons have... are awesome. Well, they are. So much, but they're kind of brittle and empty inside. Mm, maybe that, I don't so know. Mer- maybe it's a bad metaphor. Okay. Maybe meringue? Maybe a meringue I mean, thing? Macarons are essentially meringue. Mm, maybe I think that is. You're what not I'm thinking about. of maybe coconut like... macaroons, right? Those are a different cookie. I'm all lost on my French. That's okay. Um, but it's it, it's like that. It's like uh, cotton candy or or like or, or something else. Where like you think you're eating something, you think you're consuming something exciting and 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 it seems and, and massive flavorful. because of the volume. But when you get inside, right, it's... right, it just yeah, you get cotton candy wet, and what is what does it do? it just shrinks and shrivels and becomes drippy it's that's like this book it is like this book um yeah so you know hopefully you enjoyed listening to the podcast listeners um of this book and i i think that is our uh that's just closing the book on jurassic park yeah that's lost world that's and the lost world i think that's and i i don't have any new word alerts um, I have no new words. I've got a new word. Disappointment. That's a new word for you? Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it means um, having read The Lost World. Uh, ouch. It's a, it's a verb. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well... Um, <laughs> So being that this is the book rap party, mm. that means we have to we have to find out what we're reading it's next. It's so exciting. This is, the, this is only the second time we've done this, right? It's only the second time we've done Cause, this. Because, yeah, um, we just went from Jurassic Park to Lost World last time. Yeah, because so before we do, to recap for people who haven't listened through the whole thing, uh, but when we finished the Harry Potter book series, we, we grabbed a, a, a one six-sided die, and I grabbed six books that we could read, that we felt like we could could pursue and go down the path of. Got them in a stack, rolled it, we picked, and, and it landed on the number that we had assigned to Jurassic Park, and that's where we started. Moved right into Lost World to finish off the, the series. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and the books at the time, the last books included... Uh, I think The Hobbit, Ready Player One, Dracula. Um, Dracula that's right. It included Dracula. Uh, There's an interesting- the Lost World, and I think there was maybe an oh, oh We'll Save the Galaxy for Food. That's the one. I think that's was the one interesting of them. one that I didn't know before. Oh, maybe so, Carrie. Uh, I think Carrie was in the first yeah. round. Uh, was in the first round. So uh, this time uh, we're not going to do that at all. Oh, this time. That. We're going to, um, so there's this, one of my favorite and unsung 
quotes from the first Jurassic Park movie is is in a scene where Timmy is explaining uh, his theories and his understanding of the world of dinosaurs to Alan Grant, and Grant's just tolerating it. Mm -hmm. And he says to him something like, "Um, you know, you said that the dinosaurs, uh, you know, died from this or whatever, but, and I read your book. And then I read this other book by this guy named Backer. And he said that, uh, the dinosaurs died from the diamond dust that was created by the impact or whatever. So I just happened to be going through a thrift store and found this book by this guy named Backer, (laughs) whose name is Robert Backer, who wrote a book called Raptor Red. I mean, how could we not? How could we not? How could we not square up Jurassic Park into a trilogy by book ending it with a book called Raptor Red? By a guy named Backer. By a guy named Backer, who is who is the Backer. He is oh, he's that the guy. He's the guy, oh, as far as I can tell. Read the, read the back of the book to you. Okay, please do. Michael Crichton may be a great storyteller, but even he wouldn't have the nerve to write a dinosaur novel told from the dino's point of view. People magazine. Actually, all it says is people, so it could have been anyone. Um, (laughs) Painting a rich and colorful picture of a lush prehistoric world, leading paleontologist Robert T. Backer tells his story from within Raptor Red's extraordinary mind, dramatizing his revolutionary theories in this exciting tale. From a tragic loss to the fierce struggle for survival, to a daring migration to the Pacific Ocean, to escape a deadly new predator, Raptor Red combines fact and fiction to capture for the first time the thoughts, emotions, and behaviors of the most magnificent, enigmatic creatures ever to walk the face of the Earth. I mean, I think humans are pretty cool, but I guess raptors are also hot right now. It should be available at our local library because I checked before deciding on it. Um, and God knows no one's going to rent it before check it out before us. <laughs> so if you did need to find it that way, it exists that way. I might have to find it that way. I I did a little, like I said, I definitely double checked ahead of time. It's there. So. <laughs> I can promise that once we finish Raptor Red, <laughs> oh, I got to point out, because I, I think you could kind of see it, but part of the reason I bought this and went for it is this insane uh, oh, yeah. 90s Hologram. holographic yeah, awesome. color it's cover. Awesome. It is so 90s. It is so time capsule for me. Absolutely. I saw it and I was like, oh man, this is brilliant. I gotta have, I gotta see what this is about. And then I was like, wait, a book by a guy named Backer? Wait, a book told from the perspective of a velociraptor? What? Or a raptor, because I think they might be Utah raptors in this, because I think this takes place in Utah. Um, anyway. Uh, that's the book we're gonna read. I promise that the next time we read, it will be a roll-off. It will be a collection of books where we excitedly randomly figure out what we're going to read. Um, I just, I couldn't put this in a rotation. I had to just have it bookend. Fair. Uh, cause it, cause we'll naturally be able to like wean ourselves off of the excitement of lost world. 
into a book that's probably also going to be crap. Do we know how but many episodes that's going to be? Not yet. Okay. Um, but we will figure it out shortly, probably once we stop recording. So we'll let you know next episode what we're what we're working with. Sounds great. Do you have anything else to say? I do not. All right. Well, thank you for reading a book that you had already read and didn't like. I'm excited um, to read a book I've never read. I know this time. It's the first time we're going to read a book that neither of us has ever read. Neither of us is going to know what's coming, nope. what's up next, what kind of what to expect from this new narrative that's first person dinosaur. <laughs> um <laughs> That's weird. I'm 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 very interested. Uh, my prediction you, is that, I'm holding you to that roll off after this though. I don't want to move from oh, this oh, into oh, Chuck oh. Tingle. <laughs> it's a natural you, progression, Rob. My feet to the fire hold me to it. I, I have Okay, I'm gonna tell you this ahead of time. I already have the stack. Okay. It's pre it's preloaded. It's just not it's it just has to wait. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I don't think there's anything else to say. So, uh, I think that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thank you for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Um, should we do a countdown? Yeah, let's do a countdown. All right. You ready? Yes. Here we go. In three, two, one, five... Four, three, two, one. It occurred to me around five uh, that I need to be talking to. That would be how the synchronization would work. Is so uh, that's on me, and I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. It's going to be a great post-episode blooper. <laughs> is uh, the admission that when it came to probably the simplest task we'll ask of each other today. And uh, you crashed and burned. But I should also go to my settings and turn off the click when I'm touching my keyboard. and Because I just realized that that's obnoxious as F. F is pretty obnoxious. But I don't know where it is. Because I'm an old man. Where in the oh, keyboard? All right, Gramps. I mean, you know you can just go into settings, pull down, and get a search bar and start typing clicks. And the first thing that comes up is keyboard clicks. Oh, there's a search bar. Keyboard. I said clicks. Keyboard clicks. Keyboard clicks. Down. And we did it. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Teamwork, we did it. You're listening to Death Readers Tech Support. All right, now we just have to wait for this ad to end in 20 seconds, and then I can hold this up to the screen and show you. Uh, Interesting that you didn't just send me the link. Why would I do that? I have an iPad. I can hold it up to the thing for you. You have an iPad. I'm Doug. You have an iPad? And I'm also Rob.